in today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. Allah knows his servants. And so in the case of Gaza, look, it is a really difficult thing to see. And we have a role and they have a role. And we have a Lord and they have a Lord. And he is the most merciful. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Iman Wire Podcast. Salim here with Motassim and Ghaidar. Assalamu guys. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. It's good to be back with you, Salim so and Ghaidar. It, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a while. Actually, yeah. uh, last time we were together, we were uh, we were in the same place, right? Ghaidar's house, right. mashallah. Yeah. Thank you for uh, allowing us to uh, come come to your house and and we enjoy your hospitality every time. It's a um, pleasure. But it was a while ago. And... Uh, I, what happened at the end of the podcast, it was, we're all talking about how we turned 40. I know we're close to being 50 right now. So, yeah. you know, I know some people have been wondering where we are, yeah. um, which is a fair question. Um, and like the only answer I can say is that there was this, this guy named Thanos who acquired infinity stones and he snapped his fingers and we were gone and then now we're back. Yeah. Yep. That's what it feels like. It feels like we were just here and now we're back. Yeah. It's been subhanAllah very eventful past few years, uh, especially with COVID and post COVID. It seems that post COVID has affected us as a community and as individuals in so many different ways, including the recalibration of everything that we're doing at, you know, in life at work. And, you know, like for instance, myself, I've been, Mm -hmm. you know, entirely, you know, kind of uh, a new man in terms of my work habits, in terms of my uh, even eating habits, sleeping habits, it's, it's all crazy. And my kids have adjusted. And now that they're back to school, we're also all adjusting in a different way. Plus, of course, there's a couple of other things happening, uh, community projects and, mm-hmm. you know, personal projects along with the family. So that, subhanAllah, yeah, we look back at the last time we recorded this. Um, yeah, basically, uh, you know, it's yeah, like life happened. Podcast, and it's yeah. funny because when we last recorded, it was like after the sort of the the COVID, the height of COVID, right? right. And we came back and we we're like, hey, we're back, you know, yeah. it's post-COVID. Now we're talking about like turn 40, talking about like exercise, yeah. all this kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And then, as you said, all these other things happened. Which yeah. some of them were obviously we couldn't foresee what would happen. But Hamda, we're but still Hamda always in touch with each other. You know? Yeah, yeah, we I were. Mean, I mean, we've been all in touch together, yeah. but we just haven't recorded. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, we were living over. We were living in Istanbul for what four or five years, and then uh, you know, uh, over the past what eighteen months, we've settled back into the states. So it, yeah. it's now I finally feel like okay, we're settled. Bismillah, ala barakatillah. Let's go back to doing the things that uh, we benefit from and we think others can enjoy from as well, inshallah. And one of the big ones is the Iman Wire podcast. Everyone's asking me, when is the Iman Wire podcast yeah. coming back, Salim? Yeah, yeah. So here we are together doing it. Here we are. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Salim. I, I know Matasim has been very busy lately, but you and I, in terms of the podcast, we got depleted for a while. <laughs> and, and and this past, you know, eight maybe 18 months as well, you know, it's been really kind of a new experience, at least for me. So you need to maybe get as much fuel as possible. You need to fill the tank before you're able to this do is something. True. Yeah. You I know, mean I so. think I think any time when you are um when you're a content creator, right. which is, you know, basically what podcasting mm-hmm. is a wing of that, is if if you don't have anything in your tank, if right. you're not if there's not something you know, in the past, we've talked about getting back together, like, you know, like uh, certain issues have been going on in the community and like, we like, let's get together and talk about it. Like, you know, when the whole navigating differencing, differences thing came out, right. we were like, we need to get together and sort yeah. of talk about talk about this. And inshallah, we'll, I think we will address that at some point in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, if your tank is empty, yeah, right, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get started again. I mean, we, last time we were together, we were talking about like the whole exercise regimen, right? Yeah. But like, it's all about maintaining like this sort of, uh, weird of routine. constant routine. Right. But then when you lose your momentum, it's yeah. really hard to get back. Yeah, it happens. I mean, you know, for me, the way that I look at a lot of things that we do in life in general, throughout the Medina, whether it's the Iman Wire podcast, the vicar that we have, you know, throughout the week, or pearls of the Quran, you know, the way that I've always been trying to approach it is like, Hey, I need this in my life. 
I need this for my family and I'm just going to share it with the rest of the world. I think the issue is being, you know, like a content creator, as yes. you said, is like, yeah. I yes. always need to look for the next thing to talk about Absolutely. so I can get hits and I can, and you yeah. know, that's not how by Allah's rahmah we approach that's, it. That's not, that's not the way I think we ever really did the yeah. podcast before. Yeah. I know personally, like a lot of the topics that we've talked about in the past, it was because we really just wanted to talk about it. It wasn't yeah. like, let's yeah. think about what to talk about. Yeah. And I think that was sort of, um, perhaps probably one of the, the reasons why we have been away for a while is like we've been trying to figure things out and we're still trying to figure things out and it just wasn't the right time to to um, you know to come back into into the fray if you will yeah um, but you know I think Salim and Raidar for us getting together and having these conversations at the very least it's going to serve as a reminder and discussion points for us just to talk about interesting topics or things that you know are close to to our own hearts and what I've learned in life is if something is on my heart it's on a lot of other people's yes. hearts as yep. well so let's just share it you yeah know. subhanallah that's been you know kind of the catalyst you know if you remember the very first catalyst as to why we created you know iman wire when it came about mm -hmm. that was after the trump election you right know? If that was right. and there's been like highs and lows and many you know kind of uh, phases to our podcast but then i feel that our coming together now is also you know, on the heels of another catalyst, yeah. you know, yes, that, that is, you know, the, uh, you know, the calamity and right. uh, the huge bala and test uh, that's happening in Gaza and Palestine. And may Allah be with them. May Allah, uh, you know, remove this evil from them. May Allah, you know, give Amen. them, uh, you know, victory and give them thabat, steadfastness. Yeah. May Allah accept their shuhada. Uh, may Allah allow us to be uh, in their aid, Ya Rab, and may Allah all, uh, deliver us all, uh, you know, into a better state as a community. Yeah, absolutely. so yeah, 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 that's yeah. To me, I, mean, I think that's that's how we, you know, at least. No, I, I think I think you, you hit it on the head. I mean, this is I think this is the reason why we're we're back here together. I think that was um, there's this been collective consciousness and collective spirit that's you know I think everybody in the Muslim community throughout the world, certainly here in America, you know, when these type of tribulations happen, there's a there's a there's a there's sort of like this cohesion that occurs. Yeah. Like I remember after 9-11, like there was just like this cohesive feeling you met yeah. amongst the community, right? And like when you deal with these crises. So, you know, that certainly I think plays a role while we're back here today. And, you know, one of the things that, the first thing I like that came to my mind um, when we're sort of thinking about coming back together was we were on like a WhatsApp thread, Mutasim, and I saw this picture of you that your um, your brother shared. Mm. It was a, a picture of you at uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa. Mm. And of course, you're a Palestinian. Yeah. And I never knew this. I mean, I've known you for a long time. I never knew you had been able to even visit yeah. uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa. And um, something about that picture just really, it reminded me of my own visit there, well. which was a long time ago. But... It's something that really penetrated me. I, I was, it was, you know, when I went to when I went to Masalaksa, it was a long time ago, but it was, uh, it was only for one day, mm. and it was the most, like the most extreme of human emotion in one day. Yeah. It was like this yes. high spiritual yeah. high, yep. but this tremendous low, yeah. Yeah. just immense sadness and and um, just grief over the situation of the Palestinians. Yeah. And then, but at the same time, also the spiritual high of being in their company, as well as being in in, in Masal Aqsa. So uh, when I felt when I saw the picture of you, it was it reminded me of, of that. But also, I felt happy that you were able to go, especially as a Palestinian. Yeah, I, I like to hear some some things about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, for for being a Palestinian and the situation for my family background, you know, there's a backdrop behind that. I mean, my mom was forced out with her family in 1948. My mother was a baby. My father at that time was 13 years old. And, you know, my mom tells the stories that, uh, you know, when the, uh, the Israeli army started to come in with their, you know, vicious force, killing everyone that they saw in front of them, uh, you know, there was such a panic that was happening amongst the Palestinians. And my mom comes from a big family and she was a newborn that my grandmother and the whole family just left the house and they left my mom in the home. And it was one of my mother's uncles who said, well, where's, where's Sukaina? And you, know, you can imagine a mother leaving her daughter. It's, it's un, unfathomable. And she's like, oh my God, I left her in the house. And then they ran back and they grabbed my mom and then they continued on to Jordan at that point. My dad was 13 at the time. He was, you know, his, his father was a farmer. 
And so when he left to Jordan, he, he was 13 years old. So, you know, there's this pain that has always been in the family. And now I'm watching my mom, you know, relive yeah. that pain again. So it, you know, it, it hurts just seeing her pain because it's not something we experienced. You know, no matter what we're seeing happening in the news or in Gaza or in the West Bank too, all the terrible things that are happening in the West Bank, you know, we can't ever imagine what it's like walking 10 feet in their shoes. And so my mom has been very, very down. And so, you know, for me, it was always a dream to to go back to Quds, to go back to Palestine, to reconnect with the roots there, uh, because most of my extended family on my mother and father's side, they moved to Jordan. Right. And from 1948 on, they set up their lives in Jordan. So whenever we used to go overseas and visit, we'd be visiting our family that's in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them being in Amman and some of them being in Erbil, distant relatives still being in Palestine. So I think right before COVID, uh, you know, subhanAllah, I was actually visiting the States. I was living in Turkey at the time. And uh, I got went back to Turkey and uh, my wife and the kids were still in the United States. So a uh, dear, dear, beautiful friend of mine, Mustafa Davis, who were living together in Istanbul. And I said, hey, Mustafa, let's go pray in Quds. He's like, why? And I said, let's go tomorrow. <laughs> and we jumped on the plane and we went. And so it was an interesting experience. Of course, we flew right into uh, right into the, as they say, the belly of the beast. You know, I flew right into Tel Aviv. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. you know, I'm going to go. I'm, you know, if you know me, you know my personality. I'm going to go through the front door on everything. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. And so we were talking about, oh, should we go through Jordan? I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to take an airplane from Istanbul and we're going right into Tel Aviv. And then let's see what Allah opens for us. And so, you know, Mustafa, whose legal name is Brian Davis, him and I get to the customs agent. And right away, she stamps his passport, lets him in. And yeah. then for me, she goes, go wait in that room. And yeah. Mustafa, being a kind soul, he comes in and waits with me. So it was like a five hours. We're just sort of sitting there. And there's these random people coming and just interrogating me. Why are you here? What are you doing? What do you want? And they had this good cop, bad cop setup that was going on. Until finally, they took me to another room that's in the back. There was a woman there that just, you know, she was she was having her way with me, saying whatever she wants. And I'm just smiling, laughing at her. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm just here to pray Masjid al-Aqsa. And then she finally let me through. And then we got through customs. And then, you know, it was getting late for Salat al-Asr. So in the middle of the airport, <laughs> you know, we prayed Salat al-Asr. And then we went on. First thing I noticed as soon as I left the airport, you know, the people that live in Tel Aviv are very liberal. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys noticed how, I mean... I've read, you know, many reports about that. Oh, yeah. super yeah. liberal. You know, it's not what, you know, you typically think that it's like this strong religious, you know, Jewish population that wants to hold on to the Torah. No, it's Zionists, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But super liberal Zionists. Right. And so we we got to, by Allah's rahmah, we took a car right away and we got to Al-Quds. And it was surreal, you know, uh, walking around those streets and... Uh, you know, seeing what you're seeing, and you're know, like, subhanAllah, I'm, I'm actually in Quds. Yeah. You know, the thing that struck me the most when we got there, um, actually, let me say one thing before that. Actually, so we went to the West Bank. All right, okay. Right? So we went, we were in Jordan, and we drove to the West Bank, and it was a bus of, bus of people. And, you know, there was like, you know, bus of people, people like all loud, you know, like people, whatever. Yeah. And then as we're driving, you know, driving, it was like, it was, it was a variety of people on this yeah. bus, okay? But then once uh, someone, the, the you know, the guide was like, you know, we're getting close to um, Jerusalem. Everyone just got quiet. Mm. It was like yeah. this whole unifying. Everybody started like, whoa, like yeah. we are coming towards Jerusalem, right? That The sense of like awe of, yeah. and seriousness of being there. Um, but then also when we actually got there, I never realized how people don't, you don't realize this unless you're there how large Baitul Maqdis is. I mean, it's like over 40, yeah. 50 acres, right? Yeah. You don't get you don't get a concept, like an idea of how large that compound is. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. I mean, it definitely, as you said, like when you, get to, when you get to Quds, there's just a special air that's there. I mean, it's beautiful. It's unique in its own absolute way. And, you know, right away when I got there, I was like, I want to live in Quds. <laughs> you, know, you know, my spirit, I'm ready to uh, go live in any of these places. And so... You know, when we started, you know, there's the new city of right. Jerusalem and then there's the old city. So, of course, you, old, you enter into the old city and, and they have different districts. And, of course, you know, if you walk, when you walk around those districts, you see already the oppression yeah. towards the Muslim population versus the oppression towards the Jewish quarters and the Christian quarters. Because when you talk to the shopkeepers that are around there, like, you know, you go to the Christian quarters 
it's like you're in southern Spain. It's so beautifully kept, taken care of. But when you enter into the Muslim quarters, it's all run down. So, you know, I got to know a lot of the shopkeepers. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, they, they're like a bag of cement. You know, they don't even allow us to bring in a bag. The amount of checks that we have to go to and permissions, just to get a bag of cement to fix up one of our shops is an impossibility. And of course, it's done on purpose. And so, you know, you enter in, and as you enter into the old city, all of the gates end up leading to Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, I'll give you the bitter and the sweet. The bitter is at every gate, as you notice, Salim, and Ghaidar, inshallah, you go there and pray one day, and may all the listeners that are here with us, may we all pray there together, Ya Allah. Amen, Ya Allah. You know, there's the Israeli soldiers all over the place, you know, with their guns out and, you know, the intimidation process. So you go through them, and then you enter the compound of Al-Quds, and you have the Dome of the Rock that's, you know, centered on the perch, Mm -hmm. and then you go down, and behind the Dome of the Rock, depending on where you're coming from, is Masjid Al-Aqsa. And so, you know... But just as a point of clarification, when we talk about Masjid Al-Aqsa, it's that whole compound. The whole like, compound. Masjid, you're talking about the, the <laughs> I'm talking about the physical, yeah. yeah the physical physical there's always itself. this debate, like, you know, everybody, like people get upset when they show a picture of... Uh, the Dome of the Rock. It is part yeah. of Masjid Al-Aqsa. The whole yeah. area is... Yeah, the whole yeah. area is... But what I'm yeah. referring to yes. is, as you said, yes. you know, the Masjid structure that you go and actually, uh, that you actually pray in. And so... Uh, you know, it took a while to sink in for me that I'm actually he- I'm actually there. I'm in Quds. You know, I'm in the place of our Prophet Sallallahu Ta'ala Alayhi wa Ali's Mi'raj. I'm in the place of Sayyidina Sulaiman Alayhi Salam, Sayyidina Dawood, Sayyidina Isa. Like, it's, it's surreal, yeah. you know, and when you're there, uh, when I was there with Mustafa, like, we had, to, we had to sit down a lot, not because we were tired, but just yeah. to take it mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Because you don't want to be a tourist, yeah. You know, right. we're there really trying, really trying to connect, and uh, you know, and we notice so much beauty. First of all, you know, the nature of the haram. Mm. You know, you go to Mecca al-Mukarramah, it's like Jalal. You know, like God's majesty. It's like whoa. You know, people are going different directions and this and that. You go to Medina al-Munawara, it's just jamal. It's just peace. It's beautiful. You go to Masjid al-Aqsa. It has a flavor of Al-Madina Al-Munawara, but then it has its own thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed when I was there, it was like, it was a very family-oriented vibe. Like, yes. uh, right? did you notice that yeah, too? Yes, because, because there's all these families on the, on the you know, the, it, it, yeah, it doesn't have that, I see. Yeah, and so, you know, everyone's there like picnicking yes. and they're, they're, <laughs> they're together. And, you know, I was like, wow, this is really unique. And, you know, this is like the Palestinian people, you know, and, and, you're, and you're together with these people. And so many of them saw me, asked me, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And they're just, don't, they're kept on telling me, don't stop visiting. Yes. Mm. Keep and coming. this is something that everyone who goes, every, every Palestinian has yeah. been telling that, like, give that message to the people. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. to, to keep on Despite visiting. the old fatwas and everything yes. that were going on back in the 80s and the 70s, like, you know, don't go until, but everybody else, like from the muftis and the uh, folks that came after, after, especially seeing what the Israelis are doing in terms of trying to, oh, yeah. you know, eradicate the identity of the, uh, you know, Maqdisi people and, and the Aqsa in general, you know, it's incumbent upon us all, inshallah, to go there, especially, yeah, yeah especially these days. But yes, yeah, subhanAllah, it's really an interesting, I mean, I, I keep reading, I'm, I'm around this table, I'm the only one who didn't go yet. I mean, let me make it easy. Uh, you know, I keep reading also from other folks who talk about that and the uh, and the distinction and the distinction between Al-Aqsa and uh, the Haramain. It's really uh, surreal because uh, it's the coming together, right? Like you feel like you're coming together. Like all of it, like, you know, there's, you know, uh, metaphorically speaking, I, I'd like to think of it like just like the prophets all alayhim, alayhim salam, you know, they all came together under the, you know, uh, Prophet you know, uh, leading all of yeah, them. Uh, yeah, with the Prophet It's really the coming together of all these different souls and nations that you feel the impact or the footprint of it. Absolutely. Uh, even after all these millennia, you know, so it's just really, subhanAllah, it's, it's, um, it's a very central idea that we all have to, you know, re- bring back in our psyche, you know, especially in, in, in light of the, uh, you know, uh, events that we're living right now. Yeah, that was one of the other things I also that, that struck me when I visited, certainly the this, this spiritual beauty there, but also like the physical beauty yeah. of the whole land. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. when I was there, I was like, this is 
this is why generations after generations, civilizations after civilizations have, have wanted to be centered in this place. Yes. You felt that too, right? Yes, absolutely. It's so beautiful. Yes. You know, the, the olive trees, the orchards, it's, it's really mesmerizing. And what happened with us, you know, Allah is so generous. Uh, so, you know, we arrived and we prayed Salat al-Maghrib. And then, of course, we prayed Salat al-Isha. After Salat al-Isha, the whole masjid emptied out. But the custodian of the mosque, of Masjid al-Aqsa, he saw that Mustafa and I were visitors. And he let us stay in Masjid al-Aqsa mm-hmm. when it was just the two of us. They locked the doors. Mm-hmm. And then he took us from the uh, another exit that used to be some of the doors that say, now Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi closed up and you see all of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So we're there at night. We're the only ones in Masjid al-Aqsa, in the Masjid complex. And we're just like, wow, you know, subhanAllah, Allah, is this really happening? And then also like when you go around Jerusalem itself, like so did you go to the um, the Church of the Holy? Um, no, Sepulchre? no, we didn't have we time to go. Okay, to so we went, you know, Mustafa yeah. and I, we went and we said, let's, let's take it all in. And so we went into the Christian quarters uh, and we entered into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and we spent some time there. And then we come out, and for those of us who, who uh, those of us who don't know the story, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an, he entered the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and he was offered to pray there because the time for salah came in. And Sayyidina Umar said, "No, because I don't want people to come after me and build." Say Umar prayed. So what he did was he it's like literally just across I don't even say a street it's a really small street right across is where he went and prayed and that's the masjid of Sayyidina Umar. Mm-hmm. And we went there and we prayed there and it was just again another immensely beautiful uh, experience uh, for us. And um you know subhanallah it was uh, incredible. It's all incredible. Yeah, and then you know to go to the to the lows you know when we left Mashal Aqsa um there was some incident that happened mm. and you immediately started seeing, I mean, we were, we were driving, we just saw them pulling up people off the street, mm. and searching them yeah. and putting them against the wall. By the time we got back to the West Bank, we went to Hebron and um, Jericho as well. Um, but then you, then you started seeing the, just, I always, one of the, the, the striking images for me was being in one of the Palestinian areas and like just seeing this dilapidation yeah. and then just, right literally in front of me was these like immaculate settlements like wealth and everything just and then this poverty you know um you know what this is this is what i call the death of judaism you know because look you have christianity you have judaism you have islam revealed revelations revealed religions in their original form and what breaks my heart so much is like, you're telling me you're the chosen people? Like, you're upholding the teachings of Sayyidina Musa, No. Like, you've, you've allowed the spirit of your religion to die when you are willing to occupy and humiliate people to the extent that you're doing to them there. Like, is, if we were in power, we wouldn't do this to others. Because our Prophet, he didn't, he didn't teach us to act like this. It was actually quite different. The best years of Palestine is when it was under Muslim rule. And so, like, you know, you, you're bringing these images, and I saw these images too, and they're heartbreaking images. And you, I don't know if you had any personal experiences there yourself, Salim, with some of the soldiers or these checkpoints. Uh, both, both Palestinian Authority soldiers as well as Israeli uh, Interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because uh, we, we went to Hebron, we went to Masjid Ibrahim, right? Um, and that that was probably the worst with the, mm. with the soldiers. Oh, yeah. and that, people were getting agitated with them because they were very, um, you know, the way they are with people of our kind. Um, it, it yeah, it was it was definitely a very negative, um, you know, experience. Like you know, you, you're getting accosted trying to go to the masjid, and then uh, you know the Jewish people are just freely yeah, going yeah, in there. Go right you know? in. So um, yeah, certainly. You know, and I remember I was once, uh, we were having a cup of tea. Uh, so, you know, there are different gates that enter into the Masjid al-Aqsa compound. And so, you know, Mustafa and I were like, let's go and support all the local, you know, businesses. local businesses that we can. We're buying, you know, beautiful Qur'ans from them. And, you know, the kids in the street, there's a, you know, there's this girl I'll never forget, subhanAllah. She was, uh, she lives in the old city of Masjid al-Aqsa, a young girl, probably like nine years old. And she has this little stand and she's selling sabanakh. 
Oh, nice. You know, what are they? Spinach. Uh, spinach pies. You know, yes, we, mm. if you're Palestinian, did you grow up on spinach pies like that? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like dough that you put in onions and spinach and what else goes in there? Some garlic. Um, garlic. Sometimes they mix it up with the, with olives and, well, well, it depends. No. Sometimes they mix it up with cheese. Yeah. Like, and they're triangles. Yeah. And they're baked, and they're we call them sabanich, the Spanish pies. Or if you grew up in a Palestinian family, you grew up with zet and zatar or zatar pies. Yeah. So there's this girl there, and she was selling the sabanich, and I, you know, I took a few, and I said to her, like, um, you know, tomorrow I'm going to leave. I was like, so I want to buy some Spanish pies from you. She said, okay. I said, how many? I said, I want a hundred. And she's just looking at, she's looking at me like Ammo Anjed. <laughs> she's like, which means like Ammo, are you are you serious, Ammo? I said, yeah, I'm very serious. She goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, one second. And she went running home. Yeah. I was just standing there for 15 minutes. She comes back with her mom. Yeah, just to uh, make sure. That, just to make yeah, sure yeah. that this order is yes, a, real, <laughs> yeah. a real order. Yeah. So we took these. Uh, Hundred Spanish pies with us, uh, you know, back back to uh, back to Turkey because we were living at Turkey at the time. But Subhanallah, what, what I was saying is that so we were having a cup of tea in one of these alleys that enters into the compound of Masjid Al Aqsa. You see the Israeli soldiers. There's a Palestinian man sitting next to me, and I said to him, um, "Do you ever feel moments of like peace and serenity around here?" He said, "You know, how would you feel if you had your baby child at home?" And a wolf is lurking around your house the whole time knowing he's in there. He said, we're just always waiting for them to attack. We just don't know when. Yeah. Something always happens. So it's, uh, you know, subhanAllah. And now we're seeing it. That's a lot of lutfi, Rabbi. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, obviously now, you know, certainly uh, the situation is, 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 uh, is just horrible. Um, you know, uh, I know we were talking about our experiences like our own personal experiences much like but um people are dealing with a lot uh of course the palestinians are going through just we cannot i need fathom what they're going through yeah. right now um and certainly uh you know the rest of us are, are left at sort of a you know trying to do what we can yeah. uh it doesn't seem like much much we can do but it, it brings up a lot of discomfort that they feel like they're helpless or they can't understand what's going on um and my my feeling about it in terms of like how to deal with trials, tribulations, how do you deal with sort of understanding the reality of what's going on in the world when you yeah. just see this complete horror? Yeah. And every time I think about it, I just return to what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam encourages to do every week, which is to read Surah Al-Kaf, right? On every Friday, right? It's an illumination from one Friday to the next. Certainly there's these amazing parables in the story and one of the most beautiful, and all the parables actually have a very similar, uh, one of the, I think the themes, the recurring themes of Surah Al-Kaf is the idea of what is reality and what isn't reality, mm-hmm. right? What is, um, we see what we see with our senses, um, but we don't necessarily understand, we will never understand the inner reality of things, mm-hmm. right? And everything in Surah Al-Kaf is like, there's a lot of things that Allah is telling us over and again. It's like, you don't have all the answers. You're not going to understand certain things mm-hmm. you see in the world. Yeah. So from the very beginning, right? Like there's certain elements in all of the four stories, the major four stories, there's certain things you're not going to know. And the, the most, obviously the one like, you know, that is, it's probably most, I don't want to say most known is the story of, of Musa and al-Khidr, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's sort of apropos, we, you know, to think about that story, especially because we're talking about Bani Asuriyo and Musa, right? And um, one of the things that from the very beginning of the story, like when I when I read it, it's like, it begins very ambiguously mm. because Al-Khidr, right? Nobody really knows. It's not really clear what exactly who he is, right? I mean, there's commentaries, of course, but right. there's all these commentaries are commentaries, right? And it's, it's, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a lot of the things in the Quran has put things in there, which, um, you know, they're commentators and they believe certain things and they, you know, they comment on what, who this is or what this, what's going on. But there's, there's an inherent um, ambiguity there for a reason, right? It's like as if just by the nature of this figure, Al Qadr, it's like Allah's telling us, you're not you're not gonna be uh you're not gonna know every single single detail. Yeah. You're not gonna understand, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. every single reality. Um and then the story begins, right? So um Yeah, it's uh, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the way you pro and we're gonna get into that, I think, because you're bringing up some really amazing points. But look, if we are just processing this world based on the dunya, then we're never gonna process it. Mm-hmm. 
And so like the Quranic message is constantly like, you're going to come back to me. You're going to die. I'm going to take everyone into account and you're going to see, and everything is going to be made plainly apparent to you on that day. And so, you know, if we're devoid from the reality of the Akhirah, then yeah, we're going to have a very, very, a much impossible time to understand what's going on around us. But by Allah's rahmah, through his mercy, he sent us a prophet by the name of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who gave us his guidance and he gave us the Quran. So he gives us all the tools to understand what's happening around us, right? Where he tells us, for example, a marvelous is the state of the believer. It's all good, yeah. right? So this is how I, start, I need to start to process life from this angle. The state of the believer is all good. And the prophet says, yes. He says, if a good thing is happening to them, they thank Allah, goes back mm-hmm. to God, and that's better for them. And if something difficult is happening to them, they're patient and it's better for them. So, okay, so now I know either I'm going to be receiving bounties from God that I'm responsible as a human being to thank him for, or I'm going through trials and tribulations that my responsibility is to be patient. And each one of those trials and tribulations are different in their reality. And each one of us goes through different experiences, like something for you that's a very small thing to get through. It might be a mountain for yeah. me. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you, and you'd be like, well, Matasim's like worked up over that. That's like nothing. Yeah. But the opposite is also true. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely true. I mean, actually, I was talking with my family the other day about this because, uh, you know, and they actually talk about like micro stressors versus right. macro stressors. You know, like for some for some people, like something that for another person, which is very severe, right? Yeah. Like it, it it doesn't phase them. But like for something that's minor, like you know, they can't get their car started in the morning. It's yeah. like the the word they they can't handle that. The world's ended. <laughs> oh my god, my car's not yeah. started yet, right? And even even when it comes to you know what's going on now in Gaza, you know, the processing of this whole calamity. For let's say a Muslim in the West or mm-hmm. a Muslim somewhere else, that's it's it's also a, a huge test or, or a huge kind of barometer of your you know, I guess capacity to spiritually process this. Right. You know, like you know, the uh, Imam Nafri or Nafri uh, has one of his uh, you know uh, quotes said you know. You know your knowledge of the a test is a test in of itself and your denying of the test is another test which is a very interesting you know point because we we all know that it's a test but how do we process like as radar sitting in Maryland all the way like thousands of miles away from you know a family in Gaza that's been you know destroyed may Allah be with them you know this this you know it's a constant challenge you know, we're talking now almost like a month in into this. Right, yeah. And how do you like wake up in the morning? I, I've been talking with some of the some of my friends, and some of them are, mashallah, really true students of ilm, yani, and and some of them are able to process it in terms of just like stick to the dua, stick to yeah. whatever you can do, yeah. stick to whatever advocacy with with knowledge you can do. And then some others are saying, I, I can't. I can't go through this. I I'm, I'm I feel like I need I'm going to you know explode, and they are a very high caliber venom, and, and I've been actually talking to a couple, and you know he's he's been almost mute, mm. you know, and he I mean he sticks to the, uh, he sticks to the paths of you know processing this as a bala, but it's happening to him also as another bala, you know, yeah, so. Mm. So yeah, that's you know, but but just to kind of uh, you know offer a way out, you know, uh, you know, there's also the other saying of mm-hmm. you know, like you know, mm-hmm. thinking well of your Lord, you know, is another way or as one of the paths of you know of yaqeen. Yeah, and 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 that is subhanallah, you know, another kind of fuel, you know, like you know, because when you're when you're able to have yaqeen, then you are steadfast. And and when when you have steadfast, then when the calamity befalls, just like we're seeing, uh, you know, you see that you know people have this immense peace when they're when they're supposed to be running in all directions. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong; I'm sure you know there's enough knowledge of those who are listening to know 
and especially with these videos that sometimes you say, I don't want to look at them, and sometimes you look at them, but the way that the people of Gaza are processing this is a mu'jiza. Yeah, the right. way yeah. that they are able to take this, yeah. if, it, if it were to happen to any nation on earth, it will probably be, you know, you know, maybe catastrophic, you know, in terms of their, like in terms of what, what, what can happen to their psyches and their mentalities, the way that people, especially like on TikTok and, and other forms of social media are processing this, you know, people are interested in Islam now. People yeah. are interested in learning about what is it that makes this woman or this man process, you know, the loss of their children or the loss of their loved ones. And, you know, and again, you know, there's a lot of, qualifications to this statement that I'm saying, but, you know, there's, there's this immense kind of, um, you know, um, feed into the uh, statement, you know, the more you see of this whole entire world and the more you see as a man or a woman of Gaza, you know, you cannot really, there's not much to say. What you said about processing, right? Like, so... Uh, about how I mean, we were seeing this amazing example of the people of, of uh, Palestine, right? But when you mentioned earlier about how we process from an, almost from an external, external observer, you know, basically that's where you are for most of us, right? Like going back to the like you know the the story of Musa and Musa, right? Like I mean, Musa was a prophet of Allah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and um, like you know, there's differences in the commentaries about when the incident happened, mm-hmm. right? Um, some say it was like after he uh, came back from Egypt, but others, some commentaries say that it happens like, you know, it happened before he went to Egypt. And so the ones who say like he happened before he came to, he went to Egypt was, it was as a preparation, right? Um, because he's seeing these lessons with Al-Khidr, right? Of, you know, why bad things happen to good people or why good things happen to a bad nation or the most horrible thing you can imagine, like a child being murdered, right? He's seeing all these things as a preparation because when he goes to Egypt, right, he is going to see things which are just horrible. He's going to see genocide. He's going to see slavery. He's Mm -hmm. going to see all these things, but he has to strive and do what he has been commanded to do, be patient, but also work, work to, you know, that, that situation, being able to process that, be patient, but also to act, you yeah. know, because the whole thing of the beautiful story of the Musa and the story is that he doesn't understand until the end of the, what was the internal reality, but he always, because he's a prophet of Allah and he's a man of action, he's always acting according to the Sharia, which is a, what our role is, right? Yeah. We have to act according to those norms. So yeah. he's patient, but he's also trying to uh, work according to, the norms of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Yeah, I mean, this is the beauty of Allah and the rahmah of having our Prophet in our lives that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set up situations for us to understand through other prophets and other nations that he hasn't given other prophets and other nations experiences of. So in the case of Sayyidina Musa, like you said, he's a prophet of God. So how and why is he responding the way that he is? You know, the way that I like to look at Islam is that in this circumstance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clothed him with his humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is a prophet. He has a complete ma'rif of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time. But what the overriding characteristic you always say you see from Sayyidina Musa salam, is, why did you do this? Yeah. Why did you do that? Why did that happen? Oh my goodness. And the Prophet salam, says, may Allah have mercy on Sayyidina Musa. If he was patient, we would have had 1,000 lessons that came out. Mm. But Allah caused him the overriding characteristic in this circumstance to be his humanity. Why? So we learn. Right. So Sayyidina Musa salam, is like a representative of you and I, because if you and I saw that, we're like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> right? So we're getting those lessons out. Now, in, in terms of the processing, look, processing of anything is a spiritual affair. And that's the role of the heart. You know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran al-Kareem, لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ بِهَا That they have hearts that they don't ponder with, they don't process. So many of the spiritual saintly scholars have said that the intellect only processes at the realm or the power of the spiritual heart. And there is no way that we are going to get through this difficult, challenging, almost uh, you know overwhelming world by just trying to rationalize and intellectualize it. Mm-hmm. The Prophet ﷺ was a abid. 
He was constantly in ibadah. Why? Because he was strengthening and showing us how to strengthen that spiritual muscle of the heart, which processes in a way that the mind cannot. So the mind stops at a place. It can only process so much. And everyone's intellect is different. Yeah. You know, this person's intellect may be 20% greater than this one and process is better in terms of understanding. But each one of us has an upper limit in terms of what we can understand with this thing that's inside of our head. The ma'rifah of Allah, the knowing of Allah, and opening to that other realm comes through the heart. And the only way you enter into that realm is through the process of ibadah, worshiping Allah Azza wa Jalla. And so you see that the Prophet were constantly in a state of ibadah. The Prophet in his night prayer, and he's turning to Allah. And the Sahaba, Sayyidina Ali, praying 1,000 rak'at at night. Sayyidina Uthman, reciting the whole Qur'an in one evening as his constant wirt. Sayyidina Umar was a habit. Sayyidina Abu Bakr was a habit. And so their hearts were able to process and expand in this realm. And so, you know, if we want to start to be able to process the world around us, we have to assume the role that God has given us as his servants and increase our ibadah. So we can increase the heart. And Imam Ghazali, he says, he goes, look, take it from a person. You know, some people say, oh, it's a, it's a, you know, egotistical statement. But no, he's just telling you the truth. He says, my mind, <laughs> you know, Allah blessed me with a mind to be able to understand things in a way that most people will never understand. He says, listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. He writes this in the Ahya. He says, Allah is not known through the intellect. Allah is known through the heart. And that path is through the ibadah of Allah. So yeah. what I tell everyone out there, myself included, like if we want to be able to deal and process with all these challenges of life, we have to increase our worship. And don't tell me you've done it for like one day, two days, and it didn't work. Salim, you're a guy, mashallah, who knows how change works. Change takes what? Consistency. Right? Consistency and time. Yeah. Set it and forget it. They say you got to be doing that action over and over and over again. And Allah, by his rahmah, you know, helps you out with these things. So, you know, so we look at their challenges and we say, oh my God, I can't believe they're going through it. Right? Well, that happens to us in life. Yep. We, we see some something happens to our neighbor and then we get so caught up in our emotions. I can't believe that. How are they dealing with it? But our neighbor, whatever they're going through, they could be completely fine. Yeah. Completely fine. Yeah. We get more worked up yeah. than they do. Allah knows his servants. And so in the case of Gaza, look, it is a really difficult thing to see. And we have a role and they have a role. And we have a Lord and they have a Lord. And he is the most merciful. Like when Allah tells us, that he is the most merciful that shows mercy. So if I'm saying to myself, if I had the power, I wouldn't allow this thing to happen. What am I really saying? Yeah, that's that's uh, ultimately that's a very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Thing, yeah. I'm saying that I know better than God. Yeah. That I would do things differently, and that's a big problem because Allah kataba ala nafsihi rahma. He has he's written upon himself mercy, and he is subhanahu wa taala the one who is the most wise, and he knows he is the one who's created all everything that we see. So. We have to be really careful in these circumstances to start to put ourselves in the place of our Lord. Our job is to be abd, yeah. and he's the Lord, and I understand that he has a hikmah for what he's doing, and the only way that I may have access to understand that hikmah is really just being like Sayyidina Musa in the story of Al-Qadr, wearing that thobe of humanity and just being a abd of Allah. And even if you don't want to understand, you know, the ma'alat or like the things to come for the dunya, you know, processing or for the dunya, you know, reasons of, or series of events, you know, it's enough for, for us to understand that this dunya is just episode one yep. and then everything else yeah. is later. Yeah. I know I'm challenging your Netflix attitude, but do not, <laughs> do not, you know, judge a series based on just one episode. Yeah. And that's really, uh, you know, Something that I, I always, Paula, you know, think about because 
they always like, especially like with some of my favorite shiuch and imams are like talking in the past few jamaas uh, about, you know, not losing hope and and, and, and and being steadfast with patience and, and always this oft repeated so there are like three different, if you will, you know, stages of sabr, you know, of, of patience. You know, first is just the act of putting yourself into the stage of patience. And then sabr is like, no, now you're running out of patience. You're going to like enact some more. It's going to be like, there's a lot of churning of, of so many emotions and, and physicality into the process of patience. But at the end, ribat, is almost an honoring, mm. you know, becomes like a, a highest, you know, um, you know, um, strengthening of the hearts, uh, you know, and it's also a stage where you arrive with the ma'iyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are at the forefront of guarding almost a cause of Allah. Yeah. Right. And that's really beautiful because like it's the land of ribat. And even the Prophet ﷺ in one of the hadith, you know, he mentions that area between Gaza and Asqalan to be like the best area of ribat at the end of time. Amazing. And and it's just subhanAllah very beautiful if you think about the the, the issue of ribat and how it's connected to Ubudiyah. Here we are still oscillating between the stories of Al-Kahf, you know, the major first story is the uh, Fitya, is the, is the you know, bunch of young guys who yeah, are trying to, right. you know, trying to do what? Trying to save their Ubudiyah. Yeah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَبَطْنَا yeah, 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 What a beautiful thing. You yeah. see the ribat, you know, and the story of uh, Um Sayyidina Musa, yeah. you know? Yeah. وَرَبَطْنَا you know, uh, and, and what's, what's the ayah? وَرَبَطْنَا لَوْلَانَ رَبَطْنَا عَلَى قَلْبِهَا نعم, نعم. So, so that, yeah, so subhanAllah, it's just beautiful how it's connected. Can you translate that so people know maybe they're not really? وَأَصْبَحَ فُؤَادُ أُمِّ مُوسَى فَارِغًا And uh, the heart of the mother of Musa became empty. إِنْ كَادَتْ لِتُبْدِي بِهِ لَوْلَا أَرَّبَطْنَا عَلَى قَلْبِهَا so she was about to let go of him or let go of, you know, following the, the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, except that we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that we have strengthened her heart and we made her from the believers. Yeah. And the same thing, so, that, so the first, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, you know, uh, establishment is the establishment of Ubudiyah, yeah. you know? Because like you, you taslim, you know, yeah. after you do the abudiya, like just just go to the kaf, just throw him in the water. Yeah. that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of that. Yeah. And that to me is subhanAllah is, is just very beautiful. You know, it could it can be that you know we are challenged in a different way because you know one of the I always like thinking and also some other like folks of Ilam have, have mentioned of the matters that which cause affliction to descend is the abandonment of aiding the oppressed and the neglect of, of enjoining good and forbidding the bad. And a sign between, the, the, you know, distinguishing between the test and the worldly punishment relates to obedience. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so obedient believers are, you know, uh, tested in, in which you know, their spiritual stations are raised through their perseverance and sticking to Allah's commandments uh, in difficulties. And the disobedient are afflicted with punishments that cause some to repent, uh, which are also means of their purification. So our analysis of events, uh, as some of the uh, folks said, you know, should be Spiritual and sociopolitical. Yeah, and what's the, the problem here, Ghaidar? The problem is with all of this, why are we not doing this or why are we very weak in this? Because again, we've lost the equation of the akhirah. We're getting very comfortable in our routines here in the dunya and we don't want any disruption. So we're very scared and afraid to start to take stances and positions in which Allah wants from us to be able to protect people, that are going through difficulty. Like right now, how scared are people to stand up and say something, right? You've got these attacks on people's jobs. And I'm not saying that people should go out there and say things mm-hmm. to lose their jobs, but like there is this constant pressure 
on you know the Muslim community here in the United States as to why you shouldn't dare not stand up and speak because mm-hmm. we're going to cancel you, we're going to come after you, we're going to dox you, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But the Quranic message is constantly. That you're going to hear from the people that were given the scriptures before you and the mushriks. A lot of harm. And if you open up any like right wing media, you see this. I'm sure you do, Salim, too, yeah. as well. It's incitement. I was listening again. to Megyn Kelly the other day, and I'm like, oh my goodness, she's literally like inciting violence. Yeah. Yeah, not just our no, everybody. Yeah, but elected the, officials doing that. Yeah, yeah elected yeah. officials are doing that against people that are saying what? That you can't do this genocide to the Palestinian people? Like, how dare you yeah. even say that? No, We're, they're saying that if you say ceasefire, yeah. it's anti-Semitism. <laughs> yeah. like, what does that mean? It's unbelievable. Like, <laughs> so. Because again, ultimately, you know, Allah wants us to stand up for moral just causes. And the world that we're seeing around us is saying, no, you sit quiet, you drink your Starbucks, right? You deal with all of your student loans, uh, you get your 95, and don't you dare attempt to disrupt any sort of system that we have set up for you. And so we will oppress who we want to oppress, and we'll give a nice life to whoever we want to life, or give a nice life to, and you have to deal with it. And so here's this whole system that's built in front of our eyes okay. that the Quranic message is constantly telling us about. And if we look at the life of the Prophet, the Sirah, he lived. Yeah. You know, he, he lived this thing. And that's why, like, you know, this is why I mentioned, like, you know, between processing, yeah. the, it, it's really the two wings of the bird. You're like, you need to be an activist, if you will, but only after you are spiritually empowered, you know, after you are, you know, because people rely on the sociopolitical analysis and the activism that comes with it and the whole channels of khair that you should do, but relying on them, you know, people get, I know that people lose hope and whatnot, but you know, in and of itself, when you are always running through that channel, you get bankrupt and it gets into you, you know, because you become, you know, kind of, um, uh, what's the word? Help me out. You know, if you're just left to that device, yeah, yeah. Of, of trying to be along with the masses. Like you just came back from Washington, D.C., 300,000, yeah. you know, activists and people of conscience. Everybody came came out. But deep down, when they all go back home, you yeah. know, like what is going on with mm-hmm. our, you know, we look at this whole show of world politics and how everybody in the West is kind of saying, just go ahead. It's against everything human rights. It's against everything of liberty and values and, and dignity that we are singing for the past decades. This is a, an abomination of, of what we all have, you know, learned in our in our lives here in the West. And then people are like, yeah, how do I? How do well, I you know, I tell I, my kids, yeah. I'm like, this is how you know your own truth. Yes, exactly. I, tell my, I grab yeah. my kid, you know, I will talk about the, maybe the family meetings later on. This is part of my family meetings. I'm like, you know, boys, because, you know, my I got a 16-year-old, a 13, maybe 14 now, a 10 and a 7. And, you know, we're taking them out to the protest and they're, we're all together. But, you know, at that age, I remember what I was like at that age. You know, I would have probably asked my mom and dad, like, hey, if the whole world's against me, like, what does that mean about me? And I'm like, no, it shows you that you're on truth. When the whole world is talking for oppression and yeah. destroying people, and you're the one saying, no, this is wrong. I right. said, Muhammad, you're on truth. Yeah. It's really hard to stand because the knees start to buckle with that weight. Yeah. But this is where the spiritual activity gives us the ability and strength that the mental cannot. Because it does something, you know, like this this past few weeks, it did something like for anybody who has the, you know, uh, illusion that we are living in a system of rights and liberties and all that. It just removed that trust, removed that faith that I have, you know, in the system that this is really a system of justice. These are layers of reality that, you know, all of us are gaining. The miracle of the world is that everything is directing us, like for each of our experiences in the world, everything experience that happens to us, Allah has put that experience for us, whether it's our own personal 
trial, whether we're seeing someone else going through trial, all of that is actually for us, as some of the sages say, everything in the world is created basically to direct each of us personally towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Right? So whatever we see, whatever we see around us, whatever happens to us, all of, the, all of those things are going to direct us um, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, that's, that's, that's the rahmah of, of trials, of tribulation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always giving us indications, signs to direct us towards Him. Sometimes it's through prosperity, sometimes it's through difficulty, right? And all those things direct it, direct us towards towards Him. And that's part of the the really the the miracle of 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 of, uh, of our of our existence. And that's the importance of constantly reading the Quran. Like you know, yeah. I was in a room. It was a big room. People, I said, listen, let's, let's have. We're gonna have. I'm all about honest conversations. <laughs> you know. So I was like, listen, let's have an honest conversation right now because we were talking about trials and tribulations. And I asked everyone in the room, raise your hand. How many of you read the Quran every single day? There's like no hands that went up. <laughs> you know, yeah. how many of you read it once a week? Still very small. Like people are not, and this is the the Prophet mm-hmm. saying to Allah, mm-hmm. they've, they've left the Quran. Because all of that messaging that we're talking about there, Salim, it's constantly being reminded to us in the Quran, right? But if I don't, Feel myself, or if I'm not reading those constant reminders from reminders from the divine. Yeah, it, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, we talked about Surah Al-Kaf, right? Yeah. There's a reason why every week we have to every read it Friday. because it's telling us these lessons. Like, yeah. you're gonna see things you don't understand in the world. Yep. Maybe you'll understand it at some point. Maybe you won't. Maybe you have to we'll have to wait till Akhirah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what's the most like heartbreaking part of that story of Musa Al-Kaf? It's like this boy gets murdered. Yeah. yeah. Right. But there's Rahma in it. Yeah. I mean, it's like when I read that story, the thing that always that always hits me is when you're talking when Allah Subhanahu was talking about the parents, right? I mean, like the parents, you know, the, the uh, you know the story goes that their child was killed killed, and then later on, uh, Al Qadar, you know, explains that he was going to become uh, you know this way, and so Allah would give replace it with another child who would be righteous, right? But like, think about those parents. Yeah. I mean, this episode that happened. Like, do you think they ever got over the death of their First son, no. no, uh, no. I, would, I would say no. No, 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 no being a parent, no. Was, no, no, nobody can. Understand. I mean, yeah. they persevered. They had patience, right? And then when when in Akhirah, they're going to not just have one child with them in Jannah. They're going to have two. Yeah, right. Because that that first one who was killed. Yeah. Right. I mean, in like the multiversal reality of things, Allah Subhanahu knows every single infinite possibility that of our choices. Right. Mm-hmm. At that moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing that like there was a multiversal reality for that child who yeah. got killed that he was going to end up in this wrong yeah. direction, right? Yeah. But he's taken away at this young age and we know, I mean, as like where they're going to, you know, children are going to be, you know, yeah. uh, uh, where they are in, in Jannah, right? Yeah. So these, 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 these parents are going to be not just have one child, but two child within Jannah, right? Yeah. So it's like the Rahma upon Rahma, right? And in that story, like the thing that always, every time I read it, uh, when at, after in, in a in a explanation, right? When he talks about when he t- talks about the parents, it talks uh, um, it uses the dual form, Rabbahuma. Mm. and it's like as this, Allah Subhanahu just in those in the word specifically, it's like their Lord. It's that in the other next verse, it's saying your or your Lord or our Lord, right? Mm. But this one is specifically saying like I'm so close, yeah. Allah Subhanahu, I am so close to that that those parents who have lost their child, yeah, that I'm going to use this to sh- to indicate that. It's their Lord. It's the two of them. It's used the dual specifically for that. It's showing that intimacy that can only occur, like in that situation. Yeah. You know, you know, everyone goes through difficulties, but like Allah is showing that I am with you, close, the closest you can imagine. Like you know, when you're going through those difficulties. Yeah. That's him. It's a mercy of the Allah. Intimacy, yeah, you know? That's Allah, the intimacy, you know. The four, the four stories. You know, I, I love. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole. Uh, if you if you search like the uh, categories of Surat al-Kahf or whatnot, you know the whole you know four major stories of Surat al-Kahf. You know maybe like there's five, but you know yeah. technically the four major stories. There's also this consequences, you know, or or like sequential. Sorry, uh, sequential. Um, you know, I guess progressive events or sequential progressive priorities. The first is Ashab al-Kahf, meaning the prioritization of your relationship with Allah. Mm. Allah is first. You know, your relationship with him, you abandon everything else and you're yeah. young, you know, just yeah. to get to, uh, you know, to establish your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the next stories is the stories of Ashab al-Jannatayn, like the, 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 the people of the garden. 
And that's like, okay, now we established our relationship with Allah, we established the ubudiyah. Next thing is, rizq is from Allah. Yeah. Rizq is mm-hmm. not from, mm-hmm. you know, fulan and ilan, you know, and therefore, you know, that comes also as another thing. Like you establish your ubudiyah, now you establish that only Allah has, you know, rizq for you. And therefore, whatever that we're going through now, if threats of people saying what's right, you know, if that gets established, then, you know, we get into, you know, the idea of being free from the threats of others. And and then the, the next thing is Qasat Adam and Iblis. Um, and, and that's also another thing that, you know, always know your relationship with the shaytan as he's your adu and he's your enemy. And then the next is Musa with Al-Khidr, alhamdulillah, you exhausted that. And finally, Qasat Dil-Qarnayn. Qasat Dil-Qarnayn, the, the story of Dil-Qarnayn is, is really a beautiful kind of, I guess, summary of this whole thing that you know you come at the end Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you strength will give you tamkeen will give you establishment but uh, you have to know that this has to be done in in khair you know th- this has to be done in uh, you know some sort of uh, I guess fulfillment to Allah's uh, you know uh, to Allah's promise on earth and therefore you only can do your activism within these lens you cannot do something else you cannot help people if you do not really uh, look through that lens otherwise everything is going to be bankrupt mm-hmm. it's it's hard to you know to, to live through it but yeah. it's it's all tanzir you know but if if you go through it from the beginning to the end you will, you will arrive but if you come to it from the middle or somewhere at the end it will be, you know, futile, at least on a personal level. You know, I just like to say, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm actually glad we got back together because this is good. This is good conversation, conversation I need. I mean, it's good for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's stuff yeah, I need to hear all the time, you know. Allah. Allah give us uh, the best of this. You mentioned this. I mean, we were talking, we were talking about Musa and Khidr, but, you know, of course, as, as Surah Al-Kaf comes to the end, you know, it's indication of, our Prophet you know, the, basically, you know, as, as a conclusion of following his example, you know, and the greatest tribulation that happened, you know, as one of the, you know, the greatest tribulation is the loss of the Prophet, right? And so for the Sahaba, there was nothing, nothing worse could have happened to them than, than that. And I always think of the story of Sayyid Fatima. Like when she was with the Prophet, and you know, the Prophet tells her, you know, he's going to die. And she's, she's, she's obviously begins to cry, right? But then what happened after that? Mm. You know, then he says, and I pray that you're going to die. I feel that um, that's life. Yeah. Our life is Sayyid Fatima, you know, and she's our example as well. that we're going to have these things, these difficulties. We're going to have sadness in the world. We're going to have tribulations in the world. But remember the end point, the end point of Akhir, right? Who we're going to be with. We want to be with our Prophet and with all the righteous, right? Don't forget. And what did she do? She smiled, right? Yeah. She smiled. I always think it's be patient, deal with the situation, work to correct the problem according to our uh, you know, methodology, right? It, it may, you may see fruition in this world or you may not but at right. the end don't forget to smile yes, like to say the Fatima yeah. because what's the end point yeah. right so all we can do is just act according to that you know to that way mm-hmm. you know it's interesting you're bringing this up and Ghaidar the point he sort of went through the thematic points of Surah uh, Al-Kahf it just got me thinking as we're sitting here now what's how's Allah close Surah Al-Kahf he says قُلْ say to them O Muhammad إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Close the story. It's really yes. amazing if you look at it from the lens of the thematic reality of Surah Al-Kahf. What does he say? Allah tells him, say to them, O Muhammad, I'm a bashar. I'm a human like you. Meaning, I am susceptible to the things that you as a human are susceptible to. Emotionally, physically, intellectually. But what's the difference? Yuha mm-hmm. I'm revealed to. As if the, 
Allah is telling us through the lens of the Prophet ﷺ that we're all going to go through these different emotions, these different ideas, these different thoughts, these different physical pains. But how do we process it? We process it through wahi, through revelation. And through who? And through, through the, the Prophet. The Prophet, Prophet exactly. yeah. Yeah. You know? All right. And then how is it close? Okay. After all this processing, after reality that you're a human being, and after reality that you can only process it through revelation through the Prophet ﷺ. So now the Prophet says, so whomever wants to meet Allah, meaning the Akhirah is in your face ready for it, do the righteous deeds and don't ascribe any shirk to your actions with Allah. And that's it. That is life. And if we have that lens, then we're going to have the processing power that we need. Allah, I needed this. That is an excellent way to conclude our little reunion. Um, hopefully, this was a benefit for all the listeners as much as it was was for the three of us. And inshallah, uh, hopefully, we'll we'll have to we'll come back on in the podcast again. Yep. We'll make the intention, listeners, that we're not going to wait another uh, two two years for the next one. Inshallah, no, we hope two weeks. Two weeks, Salim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we, we, we can try, we can try, you know. We will try our best. Yeah. We will try our best, you know, but uh, please give us your feedback and let us know if uh, you want to hear more of us uh, uh, in this vein. Um, but certainly we do have plans to, to, to post more regularly and sort of come back a little bit to, uh, into the fray. And uh, Michelle, I hope it can be a benefit um, uh, for, for um, all our listeners. And thank you again for listening and supporting us. Please give us your feedback. Remember to visit allmedianet.org for all the Medina programs and, uh, and also for the, the next upcoming episodes and podcasts and other classes. Yeah, there's a bunch of exciting stuff, right, Matosim? We got, yeah, you know, we Medina a, Live. We got a bunch of other... We have uh, a Sira class going yep, on right class, now that's yeah. weekly. It's free. We have the, of course, the Sahiba Seminary going on. We have a lot of videos that are coming up. We have free publications, you know. Yeah, and you know, essentially, all the stuff we're putting out is the stuff I need in my life. So if you want to come along for the ride, let's that's all like, go together. We want to get this for ourselves. Yeah. Might as well just share it. Share it with the world. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys for coming back on, and inshallah, we'll see you on the next podcast. Until then, assalamu alaikum. Awesome.